right, guys. Sorry, we didn't have an intro video today. So we are going to jump right in to this brand new series that we are starting today called Sons and Daughters. Okay. So, but before we do, I want to highlight something real quick uh, and just say uh, there's something that's real important to uh, me and Audra's heart and obviously our team, and that is uh, life groups. That is us being able to get connected with other people uh, outside of just Sunday. One of the things we talked about last week uh, in our birthday message was how we want vintage to be a home. We want it to be a place of safety. We want it to be a place where people can find uh, their place. Uh, but ultimately, Sunday ends up becoming the, the front porch. So if you think about a house, Sunday is the front porch. There is a, a new uh, kind of process now in which people are starting to get more connected to each other in faith. And part of that is just having on-ramps, having multiple ways to be able to get connected. And one of those ways is being able to get connected through life groups. And so today, right after service, uh, there's going to be some tables in the back. And we want to encourage each and every one of you guys to sign up. And if there isn't a group for you, let me tell you something. If there isn't a group for you, but you feel strongly about a group, there's just something about it that you're like, look, we need this group. I want to challenge you. Start it. You have, you have 100% our permission to say, look, God's put something on my heart, and I need to, we need to move on this. Okay? And reason being is because as a church plant, we need your help. We're a team. We've got to do this together. That's the only way we can be able to multiply uh, our church Monday through Saturday because, as you know, we want to be a church that's not just here on Sundays, but we want to be a church that's active Monday through Saturday. So when you, after service, I want to highlight as you walk through uh, the back, if you do not see a group for you, uh, let's talk. I would love to have coffee with you and, uh, and meet with you and see exactly what God's placing on your heart. Okay? Everybody good? All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Our springboard verse out of this Sons and Daughters series is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 18. Okay? Verse 18 is where we're going to start. Um, so, a little bit of context real quickly is, is one of the things that's, that we're realizing as a church, um, and as I think just, just moving through life and moving through kind of everything that's going on, we have to stay in tune with really what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us, what God's been asking of us. And one of the things that God's been really asking of us is to make sure that we posture right. And what I mean by that is you can only move forward if you're in the right posture with God. And sometimes we try so many different ways, but sometimes I think there's a single posture that God wants us to have. And I believe that this sons and daughters mentality is something that God truly wants each and every one of us uh, to have. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be chatting about what this and talking through some multiple lenses about what it means to be sons and daughters. So I want you to pin this series on your calendar for the next four weeks, because it's going to be real important to not only our faith, not only to this church, but to, to, to your family, to the people around you, to be able to understand what God's trying uh, to do. And so again, our launch verse for this series comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and he references something that I think is real important to us. And he references what God says, and he says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Did you know that a little bit of surface-level theology here. Did you know that God is referred to as Father in the New Testament over 200 times? 
God is referred to as Father. And what's important is I want you to understand before you, we even think, because some of us are already going to have a hard time processing God wants me to be a son, God wants me to be a daughter, is we have to understand something. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God had a certain way for people to connect with him. And the people almost begged for it going into 1 Samuel, and they wanted kingship, and they wanted all this type of stuff in the Old Testament. I don't have, have a lot of time to go into all the theology for that. But in the Old Testament, right, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's the Old Testament, and there's the New Testament, okay? The Old Testament had certain rules, had certain regulations, had certain processes for you and me to be able to connect with God. Then there's about a 400-year gap, which I'll talk about here in a minute again, about between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, the only diff- and one of the di- big differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament. And when he comes on the scene in the New Testament, he kind of starts to shake up how you and I connect with God. And we start, and what happens is a lot of us have this kind of law mentality. And what I mean by that is that some of us have grown up, maybe in culture, maybe we've even grown up in our faith, uh, maybe we've grown up in a household, whatever it looks like, that we kind of have a rules-based uh, mentality with how we, how we are with maybe even our mom and our dad and friends and family and even God. And sometimes that can translate to God. And what I mean by that is it's very similar to the Old Testament. If I do X, Y, and Z, I get this. If I do this for my father, he recognizes me as a son, okay? And sometimes that's a very dangerous process to have, not only in our own households, but even in, in, in our relationship with God. You know why? Because love can get lost in rules and regulations. Now hear me when I say this. God understands the boundaries in which we need to live. But if you are so caught up in the boundaries that you don't have love in the middle of those, you better recheck how those rules and regulations lead you, okay? So that's how the Old Testament was, and I think God understood that. So then he said, okay, we got to fix this. I got to fix this. I don't want this much distance between me and my kids, so let me send one to bridge the gap. And he sends Jesus to bridge that gap. And so Jesus is the dividing, the dividing factor. He's the dividing factor between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The rules and regulations of life to now just grace and relationship. Old Testament was law. New Testament is grace, covered by grace. Okay? And we hear that and sometimes we're like, yes. But then I think life kind of hits us and we realize, no, I still got, I still got boxes to check for, for God to love me. And today is one of those days where I want you to understand that everything has to center on what Jesus talks about, what Jesus is, okay? The Apostle Paul, who understood laws, if you're familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with uh, the New Testament, Paul, uh, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was an expert, okay, in the law. He understood law. And he says this in uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 19, He says, now we know that whatever the law says, okay, so he's referencing the law here, and he says, it says to those who are under it. So you and I have a choice. You can live under the law, the rules and regulations, right? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. He goes on to the next verse and says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So here's what he's trying to get to, especially with the Roman church. 
They were so used to saying, look, I've checked all the boxes. I'm good with God. And what he's getting to here is he says, no, no, the, the law, the rules, kind of the things that God places in our lives, it reveals kind of the sin that's in our life. It kind of reveals kind of where our mistakes are, kind of reveals the shortcomings we have. But you and I can't be declared righteous by just following the laws. It's, just, it's impossible. There's absolutely no way we can, we can do that. And so I want us to understand that because you have to understand there was 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And it's a pretty prophetic book looking into what's going to happen 400 years later. And Malachi even gets to a point where God speaks and Malachi records this in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 and 6. It says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. You see, there's a new system. There's a new way. There's a new process. There's a new way that you and I can connect with God, and it's about relationship. It's about us understanding who we are first and what God says about us versus us trying to go prove it. And too many of us live a life that's always trying to prove it. Jesus himself refers to God in the New Testament. Jesus, uh, we, we, everyone knows if, you, if you've read the New Testament or you're familiar with Jesus, Jesus had the example of what you and I should have in a prayer life. And the Bible tells us that he often withdrew to pray. He, he had a relationship with his father. But vocally, Jesus refers to God as his father about 165 times. Father. When the disciples, who even were struggling to figure out how to pray, walk up to him and say, hey, can you teach us to pray? And Jesus says, why don't you pray like this? When you pray, pray like this. And he says, our father. You see, you have to understand, this is completely different than the way that people were used to doing things. Completely different to say, wait, 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 hold on. Father? No. No, no, no. Like, it, it doesn't work that way. Like, I have to prove it. Like, there's a bunch of laws and stuff that, I, and Jesus makes a very clear statement. No, no, no. Pray like this. Our Father, right? Jesus brings that into the picture. Paul, who obviously, when Jesus descends into heaven, Paul kind of takes the reins of the New Testament and takes kind of the, the, the good news of the gospel into the, into the churches. He refers to God as his father about 45 times. And the only reason I'm giving you those numbers is because I want you to understand that when something is repeated in the Bible multiple times, it means something. There's something that these guys understood. There's something that Jesus understood about calling his he went from God to Father, and Paul going from Lord to Father. There's a difference sometimes. And I, I need us to understand that. See, suddenly the old order of seeing God only as authority, only as judge, only as righteous king over my life, that, that, that stays in place, but first Father gets put at the beginning. So Jesus kind of changes the order again, and he puts order back into place. You see, because we oftentimes come with a Lord Almighty, judge my life, I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm that, and Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, no, hold on a second, I'm still, still judge, I still have all authority, I still have all the power, I still have all of this, but first, let me be a father, let me understand what that is, 
And it's still true today in terms of how he wants to have a relational relationship with us. But, there's always a but. Mankind continues to struggle with this concept that God can just be our father. And here's a few reasons why. First, it's because we love our rules. It's because we love our restrictions and conditions and we like to put them on God. You know what that says? We have control. Doesn't take much faith to say, these are the boxes I check for God to love me. But what's interesting is like, I don't have that. And God wants to have a relationship with me as a father and a son. I should, I should operate with God in a relationship way. But what's funny is like, I don't, I don't, me and Audra, everyone knows Audra, she's my wife. Audra doesn't like, when we get up on Monday mornings, she's not like, okay, look, babe, I need you to kiss me three times. And in two weeks, we'll go a little bit further than that. And when we do, I know that you love me. It, it doesn't work. I know that sounds kind of ridiculous. She doesn't say, hey, when you do this, this, and this, then that means I'm going to love you. She doesn't do that. It's just an automatic, I love you and you love me, let's walk in that, right? But what's interesting is don't we do that to God? God, if I go to church and I do this and I read 75 chapters a day and I do this and I read this book and I go this, this way and, I, and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, this is how, this is how it works. You, you and I have to be very careful not to lose love of a relationship in the middle of our theology, because sometimes that's what happens. If you want to understand your theology on how you read and how you follow the Bible, check the fruit. Check the fruit. Take the fruit out of the box and see if people eat it. See it. Check it. Because sometimes we pile, we stockpile our, 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 our wisdom and our not. We stockpile it. And then it's like, okay, give it away. No, no, no. It's mine. You know? No. Like if you're in, give it away. Go, put, go give it away. And you and I have to put ourselves in a position for us to understand that that is a relationship with God. We keep running back to our religious box. And you and I cannot live a life faithful to God if we're going to keep going back to a religious box. And let me tell you something. I struggled with this for quite a few years. I'll be a little transparent with you, which I usually always am. I had a season where I was really hurt. Not only by church and by other scenarios, but just it was just a rough season for me. And instead of me grabbing a hold of God as my father, I grabbed a hold of I'm going to figure all of this out myself. And I swung the pendulum from wanting to seek God for what he, who he is and what he was going to make me. I swung it all the way to the other side and I swung it to a dangerous theology place. And what I mean by that, I took it to a place that um, it consumed me. And it consumed me to a point where when I say love got lost in the middle of it, love got lost in the middle of it. Let me tell you something. It wasn't bad what I was reading. It wasn't bad what I was researching. It wasn't bad what I was taking notes about. It wasn't bad the journals I kept. But let me tell you, it did not affect how I loved my wife. It did not affect how I loved my kids. It did not affect the call of God on my life. And it wasn't until I layered the father situation back in there that the scripture just opened up again. 
And it opened up into this place of like, yes, I can learn the same thing if I'm ready to give it away. And you and I have to put ourselves in that position because do you want to know more, to do more, or do you want to know more about him so you could be who he wants you to be? Same lens. I can go after the Bible. I can sit down and chase God today and say, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do it. Or I could chase it and say, who are you? What do you want me to be? Who, who am I in this scenario? Right? Every scenario, every day. So why is it hard? Why is it hard for you and I to grasp this? Why is it hard for you and I to grab a hold of, of this you know, thought process that we're sons and daughters? Number one is this. Many of us have had a bad representation of a father in our life which is really unfortunate. Almost, I don't know if you know this, but 63% of youth today who commit suicide, 63% of them do not have a father in the house. 90%, this is crazy, 90% of people that are homeless, drug addicted, or in prison, 90% of them fatherless homes. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to think what a fatherless generation we live in is. And a lot of times, people cannot grasp the relationship with God as father because they've never seen it horizontally. And honestly, me as a father, if there's been one conviction that God's been placing on me, is that I am a reflection to, of him to my son and my daughter. Now, is it flawed? Yes. Is there cracks in that mirror? Of course there is, but it has to be something. There's a reflection of some kind that my kids can look at my life one day and say, that's how how my dad loved me, and I know that's how God loves me, right? But some of us in the room, we've never been that lucky. You know what I mean? I was thinking about it the last two days, or Friday and Saturday. As you guys know, Neo turned eight a couple months back, and I told Neo, when you turn eight, it's kind of like you're stepping into manhood, buddy. You got to start paying rent. You got to start, you got, I mean, it's, it's on, right? But I promised him something and I said, hey, look, we're going to go and we're going to go down to uh, the ranch and we're going to go hang out for a couple days and we're just going to fish and hunt and just have, have fun together. And one of the things I realized when I was there is me and Neo were talking. We were sitting and we were fishing and our, our lines kept breaking because we were trying to catch this, this massive catfish. Okay, maybe it was like this. And uh, I just realized, as I was sitting with him, I remember when my dad took me and did the same thing. And then it hit me for one quick moment as I was thinking about this message. How many, how many, how many friends of mine never got to experience that? And how many people I know that have never got to experience something like that? Broke my heart for a second. And I think if you've never had to experience that, if you've never had the ability to experience that with your father or have that relationship with your father horizontally, it's hard for you, and I get this 100%. I get it that it's hard for you to see that way with God. I get it. But I'm going to tell you something today. God can break through that. The second reason that I think it's hard for us to grasp it is because relationships are actually harder and they're messy. Relationships are are. are are harder and messier than rules. Rules, you just check the boxes and move on. A relationship, you got to work at it every day. If, you're, if you've ever been in any type of relationship, you have to work at it. You don't just arrive at it. 
You don't just, oh, this is great. Like the day I married Audra, it wasn't like, oh, that's it. We're done. We're good. She loves me. What else do I need to do? Nothing. No. Every day there's got to be a working process. Some of us have a hard time with God that way because we don't, we're not willing to work for it. We're not willing to, to, to really strive that way. We'd rather check the boxes and be like, okay, God loves me because I checked the boxes versus pushing ourselves into that relationship with God. You see, we can put God in a box that we can control with rules. But a relationship, again, means we have to work at it. So one of the things I want to shatter in your mindset today is say, you know what? Make a decision today that I'm going to work on my relationship with God this week as my father. Just, just make that statement. I am going to work on my relationship this week with God as my father. Every time I read, every time I pray, every time I turn on the radio, every time, every encounter I have, I am going to work on my relationship this week with God as my father. It will change your entire direction this week. There are only two times, and this is, as I start to close this, I want you to understand this concept. And so, when we think biblically, like I mentioned a while ago, Jesus had a really good relationship with his father, always finding himself off to pray. Every time he referenced something, he referenced what his father had told him. He referenced the only way to the father is through me. I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty of, I could, I could stand here for probably 40 minutes and reference, I mean, tons of theology and scripture about Jesus referring to his God as God as father. But I want to highlight something that's in reverse. I know that privately, God spoke to Jesus. But did you know that in the New Testament, there's only two spots in the New Testament that the roles are reversed, and we hear God speak audibly for the first time and the second time. We capture and listen to what he says. And you know who he talks about? He talks about his son, and he says it vocally. He shows up and says it. And if there's something I want you to grasp today is that when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus made something very clear in his process to the cross. That the way to the Father was going to be through him. And that everything he has is now ours. So if God can speak audibly to Jesus about who he is, then he thinks the same thing about you and me. And so what we're going to do for the next few moments is we're going to look at those two passages of Scripture. And what's funny is they say the exact same thing. And the first place that we hear God show up, and it's rec recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, Jesus gets baptized, and God shows up and says this, and it says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine a silent God for all those years and then all of a sudden he shows up and everyone can hear these words? He could have chose a thousand other things to say, but he shows up and he says something to Jesus. The second place we see it, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus takes a few of his disciples up to, up to the uh, uh, mountain and he's having an encounter and, he, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's, it's right before Jesus is going to go to the cross, which means, for me, I always think Jesus is like fueling up at this point. You know what I mean? He's kind of like, if you ever had those old Reebok pumps, your shoes, before you went out on the game, I used to do that. You just get pumped up, right? 
you just pump them up, and now all of a sudden you can play like MJ. Like, that's just how I did it, right? Uh, and then I realized MJ doesn't wear Reebok, and then I had to throw those away and buy some Jordans. Anyways, this is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus getting pumped up. This is the Father filling his son up and showing him off before he heads to the cross. And God shows up and says this again. It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered, him, covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know what's, I love this, is God the Father wanted us to understand something about his son. Because if we can understand it about his son, we can understand it about ourselves. So here's the three truths I want to highlight to you today that I want you to take with you this week. Every time you open the Bible, every time you pray, every time you make move this week, I want this to echo in your heart and in your mind that the three truths that we find from, G, from God speaking vocally to his son to the whole, for the whole world to see, number one is identity. God said, this is my son. This is my son. Everything Jesus does from baptism forward in the Bible, he does it from a place of sonship. He wanted the world to know, that's my son. So I'm going to do something real quick with you. And, and this is the part where you have to participate. I want you to just, everybody in the room real quick, just close your eyes real quick. Close your eyes. This isn't like a religious practice. This is me just, we're people of distraction. Close your eyes for a quick second. When I ask this question, who are you? What's the first thought that comes into your mind? It'll come fast. Stay on that thought for a second. Who are you? What's the thought? Stay there for a second. It comes really quick, doesn't it? It comes really quick. Now everybody look at me for a second. This is the struggle we have with identity. Some of you, some of you heard words like orphan, forgotten. Some of you pinned yourself down as loser, stressed, not enough, ruined, pathetic, not good looking enough, not pretty enough, wounded, unclean, scared, fearful, never going to change. And maybe on the flip side, you heard words like, shoot, successful, accomplished, I'm good, I'm a high achiever, I'm good looking, whatever you heard. Honestly, it doesn't matter what you heard, because the only loud, the loudest voice that you should have in, in your head is God saying, you're a son and you're a daughter. That's the first step in you understanding where you're going to land with God this week. Some of you come into this place, and it's an identity crisis. It's an identity crisis. Some of us walk into this place, and, it's, and, and, and that voice is so loud, I just cannot imagine God calling me a son or a daughter. Well, let me tell you something. That's why this statement is so important, because you know what happens in the next truth of Jesus? Is acceptance. That's the second thing we see with Jesus. We go from identity to acceptance. And what does he say? He says, my son his identity and here comes his acceptance whom I love you know what's beautiful about 
theology is that God's a law. Of, he, he, there's something called the, the, the law of first order or the law of the firsts. In the New Testament, this is the first time that we hear God speak over Jesus. And Jesus' ministry hadn't even started yet. Jesus hasn't even accomplished anything yet. And he was already accepted. If you and I are going to understand identity and we're going to understand acceptance, you have to realize you cannot prove it. In our world, it makes sense that God would show up when Jesus was on the cross or when Jesus does a miracle, when Jesus brings Lazarus out of the tomb. And it makes sense for us to think, no, no, that's when God needed to show up. God needed to show up when Jesus did that and then say, hey, this is my son. Look at him. Check him out. I'm well pleased with him. Like, I love this kid. But no, he says it at the beginning. Before Jesus could accomplish anything, he says it at the beginning because he understands in our life, we don't need to prove anything. We're accepted first. And some of you need to hear that today. You're accepted first. You see, we, love, we hook love and acceptance with work in our world today. You cannot hook love and acceptance to grace and mercy. You just can't. That's why it's called grace and mercy. Our theology is based off of our world system, and it shouldn't be that way. As long as I perform, then I'm accepted and loved. No, 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 no. You're loved well before you even approve anything. Because is it possible that you could prove your love to God by checking a bunch of boxes? Then what happens if you don't check those boxes? Are you saying the same thing to God? I don't love you that much? No. You and I have to realize that if we're going to move throughout this week, understand who you are. You're a son and a daughter, but number two, you're accepted. And number three is approval. The truth that we get from Jesus is approval. God says, in him, I am well pleased. This is my son. Man, I love this kid. I'm pleased with him. I just can't, I can't handle it. I love him so much. Most of you in this room have met my daughter, Isabella. Ten years ago, which is ridiculous for me to say, she was born. And I don't even know what happened the last ten years. She literally is like her mom now, just smaller. Attitude and everything. But I remember when Bella was born, we had a little situation with her. She was born, but eventually they, Lord, you know, came into the room and everything ended up turning out okay. But I remember them wrapping her up in the blanket. And Audra was in like post-surgery because she had some complications. So they were, so I, I got to see Bella. And I remember the doctor coming to me. And he handed her to me. And I grabbed her. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I love. And I looked at her in the little eyes, and I said, you are the most beautifulest thing I've ever seen. I understood God's love at that moment. She had nothing to prove. But it was in me already. It was already there. I don't know how. I don't know how God does that kind of stuff where all of a, you don't feel something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I could not believe how much I loved her. My son, Nehemiah, this week, he said, we spent a couple days together. He'd never been out in the woods like that. We saw everything from hogs to turkeys to some big old deer. And we were turning this corner, 
And they said, hey, this is kind of where a lot of the big bucks are, a lot of the big, the big guys are. And so we stopped. He said, just wait. So we waited, and of course, Neo's, he's impatient, but so am I. I just didn't show it to him. I'm wanting to see him. And all of a sudden, we just hear something creeping up behind us. So I didn't want to move, so I told him, shh. So I grabbed my phone, and I put it on the reverse camera, and start picking it up, and there's this, his name's Tank. They call him Tank, and he's like one of the biggest bucks out there. And he comes walking up behind us. And he, he started, sp- like, spitting. If you know deer, when they start to kind of get a little anxious, they they not spit, but they make some weird noises and stuff. And he started making those noises, and he started putting his, his horns down in the ground. And Neil right away was like, Dad, I'm scared. And I just grabbed him, and I pulled him close to me, and I put my arm around him. I said, dude, I'll never let anything happen to you. Don't worry about it. And immediately, his whole demeanor changed. And what I'm trying to get to with both of these stories about how God is even revealing to me about fatherhood and how to do this is that sometimes all you got to do is get close. Sometimes all you got to do is be willing to be like, look, this is me. I am a little scared. And just get close. You see, but in this series, this Sons and Daughters series is all about changing that identity. It's about you standing up in this room today and saying, you know what? No, no, I am a son. I am a daughter. I am loved right where I'm at. And I'm accepted. You see, out of that is where righteousness comes. Now hear me. The Apostle Paul talks about the armor you and I are supposed to put on. And one of the pieces of armor is the breastplate of righteousness, which is righteous living. And here is the biggest problem with most of us who tend to live right. We tend to live right so we could be in right standing with our Father. But let me tell you something. When you figure out that you're already in right standing with your Father because of how much He loves you and your grace, the grace He has for you, you automatically live right. I can't help but think about how much God loves me and how much grace he's given me and the ability he's given me that because of that, can I please him as I walk this life? That's, but it's not the reverse. Let me go live right so I can please my father. No, no, no. Man, he loves me. I know I'm in right standing with him. I can stand here today and be like, I'm in right standing with my father. And because I understand that, I'm going to go live right. And sometimes we confuse that. So today I don't want you to confuse that. I want you to grab a hold of identity, grab a hold of acceptance, and grab a hold of love. And in the next few moments when we worship together and we, we sing this song together, you take your time with God. Take, take that whatever you identified a while ago, whatever that, that voice was in your head, whatever that name was, when I asked you who you were, if it was not son or daughter, Paul also tells us that we should take captive every thought and align it up with God, line it up with the word of the Lord and take it captive. If that word to you was not son and daughter, take that word captive and make it son or daughter in this room today, right where you're at. And I need you to trust me when I say this. He will change your name in a moment. He will, when that moment I held Isabella, God did something supernatural in me that I believe he'll do with each and every one of us if we want it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing one more worship song, and then we'll close up for today, okay? Would you stand with me?
Lord, I just come before you right now so grateful for this room that you blessed us with. So grateful for the opportunity to come in here and just take a moment and breathe. So many of us are running 100 miles an hour all over the place, being stretched, pulled in many different places. But the reality of today, God, is that you brought us into this place so you could say something. And I believe if there's something you want us to say is this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. I pray, God, that right now, each and every one of us would receive that word. God, that grace and mercy covers all of that. Grace and mercy covers our life right here, right now. You see, repentance is changing our thinking, and God, may you change our thinking. If our name was not son, if our name was not daughter this morning, I pray that we would take that thought captive, and we would say, no, 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 I am a son, I am a daughter. And we would raise our voices to you today, God, and just celebrate that you love us right where we're at, and that this week, we're going to seek you out with the intent to be sons and daughters. We're not just going to check boxes. We're going to be somebody this week. We're going to be a son and we're going to be a daughter. I pray for maybe that person in the room right now, God, who just feels like, man, I'm so far from God. I can't even imagine being a son or a daughter because of all the mistakes I made or because of the battle that's in my head, because of my past. I pray right now, Lord, that you would cover that person with grace. Supernaturally, you'd start to have that person's thinking and heart processes start to change. They'd forget about the surroundings for a moment. They'd forget about what's happening for a moment and just focus in on that you love them and that they're accepted and that you, that you have a plan for them and you can move them forward in that plan. We're sons and daughters in this room, Lord, and we're looking for our Father today. We are not a fatherless generation. We have a Father. And I ask right now, Jesus, that you would just come into this room and bring peace and strength and hope to each and every person as we lift your name up in the next few moments. We love you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.